Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag one rental at a time. Now on with the show. Don't know, folks, if you saw this, but as Taylor, my Monday guest, talked about Bank of America's balance sheet is holding $130 billion in hold to maturity. Apparently, Jamie Dimon was poking fun at Bank of America CEO last week when he said, hey, rates could go to 6%, basically meaning, hey, buddy, your uh, hold to maturity is going to get even worse. I have some more thoughts on Bank of America in a minute, but let's welcome Ana to the show. How you doing, Ana? I'm doing great, great, great to be here with you today. Yeah, so I don't know if you, uh, you obviously, I think you saw this, but uh, Bank of America went out early on the long end and uh, bought a whole bunch of apparently 10, 20, and 30-year bonds when they were, you know, the high threes, low fours, and, you know, now they're five and a half. So Bank of America's uh, report yesterday highlighted $130 billion uh, in hold to maturity. So uh, that's pretty crazy. If you had to mark that down right away, that that would be a problem. Exactly. And, you know, it just goes to show you basically the way that America um, allows banks to keep things on or off the balance sheet to show the, the truth about their financial position is unlike any other country. Um, most countries make their banks show all of their, you know, basically their assets like bonds, for example, and they're, they're marked to market when they do their financial reports. And in the U.S., essentially, this hold to maturity means I get to say I have this much of assets based on whatever I paid for them. As long as I put them in the hold to maturity bucket, I don't have to tell you what they're worth today. I only have to tell you what they're worth today and what my real financial position is if I move them to be available for sale. And once they're moved to the available for sale line, they have to mark to market, meaning they have to show the today's current value, which is much less. So that $130 billion of assets today on their balance sheet might only be worth you know, a third of that today and many, yeah. you know, depending on the timing of, of how long these, you know, um, bonds were out for and what their rates are. But essentially it says that Bank of America is in a very bad, true financial statement position, and it's one of the largest banks in the country. And so, you know, I think that it just highlights that there are many, many, many banks in the United States that definitely um, have a much poorer financial position today. And it probably will continue to get worse, Michael, because, you know, basically, as they have to start um, basically raising their reserves, they're going to have to sell some of those securities in order to do that. And if rates continue to go up, which is somewhat beyond what the Fed controls when you look at the Treasury market, if they continue to go up or we enter into a war, which is typically pretty inflationary, you know, you could have a situation where a lot of banks have to start, you know, uh, 
raising reserves and they have more depositors flee for money market accounts, brokerage accounts, et cetera. So I think we should not underestimate um, the, the fact that banks are not in a very good position in the United States. And that doesn't mean go pull all of your money. Um, but if you have more than $250,000 in any bank at any titling, you might want to spread it around a bit. Um, you know, bank, banks, banks are over leveraged. The government is over leveraged. People are over leveraged. It's, it's not a good news headline. No. And I want to go back to why this could be a problem, because this is what I remember from Silicon Valley Bank. If you remember it differently, please tell me. Um, so, again, Silicon Valley Bank you know, was like five miles from my house, their headquarters. So it was, it was very much a local story there for a while. Mm -hmm. So essentially, Silicon Valley Bank had their balance sheet. They had a whole bunch of bonds on it that they held as, as uh, hold to maturity. Yes. They, they then needed to raise capital. So they sent out as just what ended up being the, the spark that blew it up kind of note to their investors saying, Hey, we're basically in good shape, but you know, we need a little bit of money and you know, blah, blah, blah. And that sparked a 48 hour period where essentially all the, you know, private companies started uh, withdrawing their cash and moving it somewhere else. Cause they saw it as, you know, risky or staying. Right. And then what they could never get over is the cash was leaving so fast. They ended up having to sell the bonds that were held to maturity, which obviously caused them to have a mark to market moment. And after yes. that, it was game over. Uh, they were absolutely. And yes, that is what happened. And, and it was a really big deal because, you know, in today's world of texting and Twitter and, Hey, by the way, everyone else that's, you know, crypto people and, and, you know, big tech companies in Silicon Valley that have millions of dollars in this bank, we're worried about it. And so millions fled, you know, it wasn't oh, yeah. just depositors like you and I suddenly, you know, a handful of them pooling. It was so much money leaving in a 48 hour period, I believe, like you said, that they had to very quickly mark these maturities down. And that's what exposed mm -hmm. their vulnerability and how much of those maturities really were devalued, meaning that now their assets were written down substantially compared to the liabilities and loans that they had made, and they were essentially insolvent. Yeah, I'm going to look up Bank of America's total balance sheet because, again, I, I have to assume that Bank of America is much bigger than the $130 billion. But uh, I'll do a quick Google search. But the other thing I wanted to talk about with Bank of America is their CEO came out yesterday and basically said the consumer has reached this point of pain. Uh, consumers are pulling back. Mortgage rates are crazy high. Nobody's doing anything. Consumers are scared. Um, I, I, you know, We've been wondering at what rate would break the consumer i think it's happening right now what What do you think yes yes and you and i talked about this a little bit last week when we saw this consumer confidence as 86 percent of consumers think it's a bad time to buy a house goes along with a, lo a lot of other consumer sentiment reports that are just getting worse and worse and so uh, you know i think he's right when you look at the we've heard this this drum beating for you know a year that the consumer is strong the consumer is strong well the reality is all this excess savings that consumers had has been drawn down and consumer credit card debt is going through the roof and so you've got you know at the same time consumers are finally really feeling squeezed by the ongoing inflation by credit tightening it's harder for them to get home equity loans the rates are much much higher most 
consumers, all their all their wealth is really in the equity of their own home. Um, they're if they've had to move, they're paying higher rent, they're paying higher mortgage payments, higher credit card interest rates. It's up in the twenty-two to twenty-four percent range for many, and the consumers basically starting to not only you know not have savings but go into debt in order to cover just basic living expenses, and so. That is finally, I think, coming home to roost, and and it's been hidden a little bit in the data. Michael, maybe another you know talking point for us today, in the fact that there are such large wealth gaps in the United States that yes, while there is still an increase in consumer spending, for example, if you look at you know certain data, you've got a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots, and most of the wealth and the people that are still spending. I would argue are most likely those of us like you and I who have a lot of expendable income, who have investments, and we can we can tolerate some of this. But the vast majority of people, Michael, they're living check to check to check, and they can't. They're crying uncle. The rates can't yeah. go any higher, or it is going to cause them pain. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the economy. You know, I first saw it in housing, kind of the bifurcated market, luxuries slowing down. Uh, entry level still on fire in lots of the countries. I think you're right. I think the consumer is just the same. Uh, I've read various reports talking about the top 20 percent, you know, acting like nothing's happening, where the you know the other 80 percent are are retreating. And certainly, if you get to the bottom 50, it's it is check to check, and it's it's you know it's it's getting tough out there. I think so. I just looked up Bank of America's balance sheet on Yahoo Finance just as a source. They're about $3.2 trillion balance sheet. So $130 billion, it's a lot, but it's $130 billion on a $3.2 balance sheet. So uh, it's not SVB, right? SVB was right. insolvent um, when, when they had to mark the market. So uh, they're right. obviously very, I, very I think. Big. You know, one of one of the things that does help U.S. banks is a lot of the banks hedge. You know, and so although they may have um, hold to maturity assets, they may have hedges. You know, yep. in in their investments that allow them to kind of balance some of these things. And and banks like SBB didn't. And the difficult thing, yeah. you know, the I've risk read management of, was not good. It, it wasn't. But what's interesting, Michael, is that they were holding the risk-free investment, what everybody has said forever. And, yeah. and in fact, a lot of people say, why would they hold all these treasuries? People don't realize they have to because yeah. of, of, you know, post-2008 um, financial rules that were put into to place in the regulatory framework. Banks had to be safer and they mm -hmm. had to hold more things like U.S. treasuries. And so it was supposed to be a safe bet. But again, in their risk management, they didn't hedge um, the way that a lot of banks do. And so the difficult thing, and, and we see all kinds of you know articles coming out with fear mongering that like there's going to be a massive bank collapse. I don't see a massive bank collapse, but I do think that there are a lot of banks that have these hold to maturity assets that may or may not have hedged against them. And we can't tell that from their financial no. statement. And when you then add the amount of loans that they have, and this is more impactful on smaller and regional local banks, when you also add the commercial real estate loans that they hold, you really can't tell from looking at a financial statement, what's the maturity on those things? What are the interest rates on those things? How many might be bad debt? So banks 
by and large, are definitely in a precarious situation where they've got these safe U.S. Treasury bonds that are basically worthless now, and they have commercial real estate loans that still may have to be written down. And so, you know, it, it doesn't say the sky is falling, but at the same time, Michael, I see a lot of similarities. In some in some ways, it's worse today than it was in the the 80s before the savings and loan crisis that very much was a yeah. collateral issue the value of assets upon which you know collateralized loans were written down then those loans defaulted then the banks had to write down their assets and they became insolvent and so i think we haven't seen the last of banks like svb the big banks will always be rescued in same in some way, and we saw the Fed come in with this bank rescue program uh, to allow them to borrow money and use full collateral value, like the hold the maturity value rather than the real value. So I think that those programs will be in place. But I think for us, you know, the so what to us as investors is really don't be one of these people that says, "Oh, my bank is safe, so I'm going to leave a million dollars in cash," because the the Fed isn't going to come in and rescue the little guys like they did SBB. They just can't continue to do it. So yeah. I think it's prudent for us to have multiple bank relationships, um, understand FDIC, and make sure that your titling allows you to have that safety and that insurance where the government's going to come in and, and make you whole. Um, and a lot of people don't understand the titling. You know, if you if you have an account, Michael, in your name, it can be up to 250. Olivia mm -hmm. can have an account up to 50. You can have a joint account up to 250. So it, it's per titling of the account that gives you that safety. It's just prudent to to understand what's happening and to make sure that that you understand and have multiple banking relationships. And if you're a borrower that uses local banks like I do for a lot of, you know, your lending on your investment property properties, it's really important that you have relationships with multiple banks, because as these banks get squeezed, they just can't lend. They can't lend as much to you. And so, you know, we've lived through 2009 where we saw banks say, no, even though you're a great customer, we won't lend to you on real estate because, oh, yeah. you know, because the, the, real estate was crashing or the economy was crashing. So it's really important that you take all of this and say, not just, oh, well, Bank of America might be in trouble, but you say, what does this mean to me? And what actions can I take if this starts to happen? And so multiple bank relationships, spreading your money, having multiple lenders that you can work with really is the key takeaway that I take from, from watching all of this unfold. Yeah, very wise words. We're actually going to talk about community banks, uh, regional banks in the next conversation. But before we do on it, where can people follow you? You can follow me on your show every week. It's the only weekly podcast I do because I love you and your listeners so much Aww. and and just love being able to give back here. So watch my playlist on Michael's channel. You can follow me at social media at Anna Kelly, REI Mom. And for coaching and consulting regarding your finances, your deals, deal reviews, whatnot, you can find me at AnnaKellyInvesting.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much.